Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Eagles fans, welcome back to another edition of Football 24-7. I'm your guy, Tony DeShields II, and I'm joined by none other than our Philadelphia Eagles insider, John McMullen. Make sure you guys smash that like button, and also make sure you guys are subscribed to the Jacob Sports YouTube channel. We appreciate all the love. We appreciate all the support that you guys provide. It means a lot to us, and it goes a long way. Now, John, let's not mince words here. Let's not waste time. There's a lot going on down at the Norfolk Complex. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of angst you know permeating through the city right now because the philadelphia eagles are kind of in a state of limbo so first and foremost how are you feeling and then let's get into the <clears> nitty <throat> sir uh, i'm doing fine i don't know how well the eagles are doing um yeah but <laughs> well they're doing well enough to where jeffrey can go down to the caribbean so you know obviously he's not worried about too much right I mean, it Otherwise, is a good place to clear your head, right? Yeah. Um, and certainly from the standpoint of, you know, I think it's a clear indication that as he goes into this meeting um, scheduled for tomorrow, we'll see if he um, kicks it back even further. Um, clear indication he enters the meeting uh, with with the idea that Nick Sirianni is going to be back uh, next season, which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, obviously, if same thing happened with Doug Peterson, if he says something that uh, Jeffrey doesn't agree with and, and Jeffrey decides to lay down a different declaration, things could change, but all signs point to Nick Sirianni returning for year number four which, you know, he should. There's not many coaches with a 667 winning percentage and three consecutive playoff bursts that are fired. It is, you know, what that's, it is. That's what makes it interesting because, you know, he has his own kind of leverage, right? He has mm-hmm. he has won a lot as the Philadelphia Eagles head coach. Um, Doug Peterson had um, uh, the most undefeated level of leverage, and that's winning a Super Bowl and still – um, he was pushed out of the door. So um, Nick Sirianni is not exempt, but at the same time, like you said, I think it goes well into um, how their conversation goes. Um, how much power will Nick Sirianni be willing to concede? Um, well, whatever power he has left or whatever, whatever decision-making he has left, 
Uh, how much of that will he be willing to concede? I think this is a situation where Nick Sirianni is um, going to be in um, self-preservation mode, and I think he'll be more agreeable um, than maybe Doug was. What do you think? Um, I, yes, to a certain extent. I mean, it obviously always comes down to individual names. Clearly, there's going to be significant change on the coaching staff. I expect most of the defensive coaching staff to be gone. Um, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's more of who stays than who's gone because clearly most of them are, are going to be shown the door offensively is a little bit more complicated, um, starts with the offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson, um, and some other guys, uh, Nick is close to like Kevin Petulo and, uh, Jason Michael, guys like that. So. I think if he demands certain people go on the offensive side, I think we we might see some butting of heads. Defensive side, I think Nick understands, and probably Nick won't need much pushing to say, you know what, we got to change things on the on the defensive side. So I don't think that would that to me that part of it's logical. The defense right. was so was so poor this season. Yeah, the offensive side is fascinating because you said it. He has guys on that side of the ball <clears throat> that he that he sticks with, right? Kevin Petulo, obviously Brian Johnson, but you know it, it begs the question: if Nick, if we anticipate Nick Sirianni somewhat conceding on some level, what position does that put him in? in what position does that put him in in the long term? Because at this point, people already question. Nick Sirianni, his role, what he does in this, you know, for, for the Philadelphia Eagles, whatever it may be. And you shuffle out the coordinators and who knows, maybe they leave a year or two later, then you're back to square one. Or is this just, is, is this just going to be a situation where you're just shuffling coordinators every two or three years because you want to keep Nick Sirianni in the building? Um. Well, I mean, the shuffling coordinators is not the worst thing because if you're shuffling, well, it's not the worst thing if they get head coaching jobs because that means you're successful. Um, but it could be the worst thing for the development of the quarterback. Yeah, but, I mean, what do you want? You want to be bad? You want to purposely be bad to keep the coordinator? You want to pur- purposefully be mediocre? Uh, everybody's trying to win. If you win at a high level, as the Eagles experience – last year and they've experienced in recent history mm-hmm. are going to come after your coaches. I mean, that's part of it. And look at, look at Baltimore. Everybody on their stinking staff has been interviewed for something. Right. That's the position you want to be in because that means you're successful. Um, I mean, now- but we've seen successful coordinators who are comfortable in their position, who are comfortable in, in their roles. Right. I mean, what I guess I guess I guess what I'm trying to ask you or, or what I'm trying to get to is, is is there a likelihood if and that's if he comes back right is there a likelihood that they try to go older on the coordinator front because maybe the league is kind of moving past those kind of guys and maybe um, guys that are you know 50s 60s whatever it may be there um, they may not be here head coaching candidates or maybe guys that have been head coaches before but they much rather be much rather be coordinators do you see them doing something like that. Um, not, not, not on, not on purpose. Um, mm. no, I mean, occasionally you get somebody like, like Stoutland who's comfortable in this position or Jim Johnson back in the day, but I don't think you're purposefully looking for somebody like that because then you're really limiting your potential pool of candidates because the best, the vast majority of coaches in this league have ambition and want to become head coaches. I mean, the vast majority. I mean, like 90-plus percent. So if you're trying to uncover the 10% that's happy being in a coordinator position, you're really, really going to limit yourself. Um, so I, I don't think you can go about it that way. Um, and, you know, it's like Brian Johnson – got interviewed by the Falcons today. So he's had three head coaching interviews and, you know, people think he stinks. So, I mean, you know, you're always at risk 
of of losing uh, people to league values and you know good coaches want that because that means uh, they're successful and I think Nick wanted it with Shane and Jonathan and had confidence but I I think the problem the disconnect is well I've I've said from the start they made a big mistake with with Sean Desai demoting Sean Desai not that he was doing a great job or anything of that nature but you're really cutting him off at the knees by not trying to allow him to get out of the funk, not trying to allow him to grow in his position. And the same thing if you fire Brian Johnson, which would be interesting because he gets um, three interviews to be a head coach and he's getting fired here. What does that say about your organization? What does that say about to other coaches that you may want to uh, bring in, you know? That's a good point. You got to start thinking. You got to start thinking uh, about that as well, and and I think that's part of the reason Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie doesn't want to be the guy that fires a, a coach with that winning percentage and a and a coach who's got three consecutive playoff bursts because he doesn't want that reputation. Already sort of got it a little bit by firing Doug so quickly after the Super Bowl. Um, if you do it again. That's going to make other people. And look, there's only 32 of those jobs. So people say, well, yeah, obviously they'll be able to get a coach. But if if you're talking about guys with options, they might say, hey, you're going to blow me out of here. I'm Guess what? If you fire Nick Sirianni tomorrow, mm-hmm. I, I guarantee you, pick the name. Pick the name. Pick the name you want. I guarantee you guarantee you their winning percentage after three seasons isn't 667. I guarantee you. And they're not making three consecutive playoff bursts. So I don't know what people think there's a magic elixir out there, but it ain't happening. So So what do you you think is the best course of action, right? I mean, look, the, the reality is they're in a situation where they do have to make a decision and there is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of heat. And I mean, typically, you know, they've already shown so far this season uh, a propensity to make a knee jerk reaction. Right. And again, this is a situation where it could shift the trajectory of your franchise for the next five, 10 years, maybe. Uh, what, what, what do you think is the best course of action for this organization right now? Um, what they're going to do, and that's keep the head coach and okay. turn over the defensive side. And they'll keep Brian, I think, unless he gets a head coaching job, which is unlikely, but he could get the Carolina job if things, you know, if they're down to plan C or plan D, um, because they're not exactly a great place to go right now. Um, so I think he'll be back. I think the defensive coaching staff, the vast majority of, of what's done will be on that side of the football, and it should be because those guys were not successful, to put it bluntly. Um, Offensively, it was a disaster down the stretch, um, but overall, over the larger picture, still top 10 in in most categories. So um, I think Jeffrey's smart enough to realize you can't be emotional, and maybe that's why I went to the Caribbean for a couple of days, because he didn't want to be emotional. and I think they'll try to turn the page and try to get things right. You know, John, I've been asking uh, a few reporters the same, you know, uh, you know, this same question that I'm about <laughs> to ask you right now, um, because because it, it, I think it's been the one thing that people have been challenged with all throughout the season, and that's the disbursement of uh, accountability. Right? You know, we look at these players, and, and most people say, well. You guys are getting paid multi-million dollars. How can you guys not wake up for a playoff game? How can you guys not wake up for a game that could clinch a division or a game that could put you in um, a better seating? How can you guys not you know, play with a certain intensity or a certain effort? You guys are professionals, right? But then you have another side that says, well, these coaches have a responsibility to be able to pull the best out of these players. And if these players aren't performing well, it's a direct representation of coaching i'm curious to know how do you balance those two competing ideologies when it comes to how the accountability should be dispersed amongst why this team um you know fell the way they did 
Well, I'm I'm pretty consistent. It's always personnel first. Good times, bad times, mediocre times. It's always personnel first. It's always players first. Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's. I think the assumption. But when you have a roster full of when you have a roster full of guys, and I'm sorry to cut you off, John, but it's it's fascinating to me and it's almost mind blowing, um, because you have a roster full of guys who, at least we thought, were a group of accountable guys, right? Lane Johnson, Kelsey, uh, Fletcher Cox, BG. Then you go beyond that. Um, you get you, you got some guys who have pedigree and who've been in the league for a long time. Former Pro Bowls, All Pros, like a, like a Kevin Byard and a Darius Slay, a James Bradbury. You got Jalen Hurts on that side, Devontae Smith. You know, I can go on and on. It seems like a group of accountable guys. Yet when you watch the Manning cast with Ray Lewis, you see him saying it looks like it looks like they're playing one on one football out there, or if they're playing s- selfish football. I'm 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 so mind blown by mind blown by this team because of how they're how we thought they were built and now what we're seeing now it's it's confusing. Well, yeah. Well, maybe we should all point at ourselves first because we overrated uh, this team, and I'll put myself in that category. Mm. Um, we overrated the personnel. Like I think you know they were just in the Super Bowl. Many, many of the people, yeah, they they were just in the Super Bowl, but this isn't the 1970s. This is 2022, 2023. So you have significant um, turnover, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Right. So you lose five starters, you lose two coordinators. Um, and and the assumption was from far too many people. Now I thought the coordinators were going to be an issue. You were going to have to. Uh, um, you know, let guys grow into the position and people don't want to let guys grow in the position. Um, so you have five new starters and some of the stars, by the way, we talk about that. Then they, they, they go all in on the Kobe Dean. He plays five games. Um, hurts uh, Liz Frank in his foot gone. Avante Maddox out week two gone for the vast majority by the time he got back in week 14, week 15, whatever it was, he wasn't the same player. Uh, significant rust. So add add more from your projected starters. Um, and it was a disaster. Um, go from number two in the NFL to, to win the 20s, number 31 in passing, 31 in third downs. Just terrible. Terrible. You talk about the game in Tampa. They had 13 missed tackles in that game. 13. 13 missed tackles. Just running through the secondary. And, you know, the culprits are are Zach Cunningham, um, Kevin Bayard, James Bradbury, um, Missing multiple tackles. Those are veteran players who played a long time. Right. Um, you know, what? it's always the players. Always. Are you confused? Like, I mean, were you shocked, right, just by the, 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 the lack of, I don't want to say professionalism, but the lack of just preparation by a group. A defense that, yeah, they may not be the most talented, but you got veterans on that side. So, were you shocked? You know, when you were watching these games in person, well, I, I, I wasn't. I was shocked that they got blown out by Tampa. I was shocked. I thought, you know, they might lose the game. I thought they'd win it, but I thought it would be a close game. And I thought if they lo- lost it, it would be a close game. They got run out of dodge. I mean. If Tampa Bay didn't drop so many passes, they dropped six passes in the in the first half, which were the most dropped passes in a playoff game in 17 years. Not in a halftime of a playoff game, in a game in 17 years. If they caught those passes, the Eagles would have been out of it in the second quarter. I mean, they were an abject disaster. So I get it. Nobody wants to blame the players because they want to protect the players and you want to blame the coaches. That it, it, Pick your coach. Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. If you want to go back to Bear Bryant and Don Shula, nobody's winning with that effort. 
from personnel. So the only place you can go is they didn't get them in a position to win. They didn't motivate them in a position to win. At what point do you hold the players accountable? At what point? Because if you're never going to hold players accountable and you're that slavish to a jersey, you're never going to – that's why – you can't, that's why when we talk about continuity and this being a public facing, you can't fire coaches every two years. Otherwise, you're in this constant cycle of nothingness. So either you get through the hard times, you live through the adversity, you get rid of the players who aren't doing it and aren't performing, you try to get the players who can perform. Um, look, Jason Kelsey had his worst game of the year. Jason Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. Kalaja J- Canty was uh, working him. <laughs> uh, uh, Cam Jurgens had an awful game. Yeah, Landon. Brad- Bradbury had an awful season. Nick Morrow had a terrible game. Avante had a terrible game. Roby had a terrible game. What do you think it is, though, Um, as far as – this is what I mean when I ask that, right? And I, I know you're not a therapist, you're not a, psych- you're not a psychologist, but you've covered this game for a long time. You've been around players, you've been around fans, you've been around all different uh, all different sides of this game here. What do you think it is that prevents the fan from holding a player accountable when they're actually a fan of the team themselves, right? You know, I always hear the old notion, fall, don't fall in love with the name on the back of the jersey, and rightfully so. What do you think it is mentally that makes it hard for fans to hold a player accountable or put the player's accountability ahead of the coaches? Um, the, the players are on the field, so they want to protect them. The coaches are just, you know, figures on the sideline that you can imagine. Oh, we, which is amazing to me is that, you know, Carolina is the worst team in football, right? So, Everybody watching this show right now, or everybody watching on demand later, pick your best coach, whoever it is, whoever you think is the best coach, whoever you want to be the next Eagles coach. What do you think that guy's doing with the Carolina Panthers against the San Francisco 49ers? What 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 what, what do you think? He's got a magic wand? Whomever you're gonna pick, and he's gonna make them. Uh, competitive with the best team in football doesn't work that way. Coaches, the whole point of coaching is to make somebody a little bit better than what he could be on his own. A little bit better. You got A.J. Brown, you make A.J. Brown a little bit better. You get the 53rd guy on the roster, you make him a little bit better. But guess what? The 53rd guy on the roster, he ain't never going to be A.J. Brown. Do you think Never. do you think do you think Nick Sirianni did his part this year to, to, to make sure those players were a little bit better? We did for when they were 10 and 0, when they were one and six down the stretch, the the entire staff wasn't um clicking with with the personnel, obviously. But it, it the whole point was who was more to blame. More to blame is the players. We we saw this group succeed. So what happened? That's a good question. I ask myself that all the time. I mean, what did the motivations change? Did the level? I mean, I know the personnel changed to an extent, right on defense especially. But you got to ask yourself what really happened. You know, John. You know, moving the needle a little further. I want to pick your brain about Jalen Hurts. Um, he's a guy who. Oh boy, I'm gonna get in trouble. He's uh let's 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 put it this way. Um he can be polarizing, you know, depending on what side of the fence you are. You know, he had uh you know in, in in his press conference after the game, he didn't necessarily give Nick Sirianni a ringing endorsement. He also didn't throw him under the bus either. He was he, he was Jalen Hurts. He was he, always he was, Jalen Hurts. He was Jalen Hurts, right? And this is and this is so fast. This was this is what's so fascinating about all of it, right? You know, when you're winning, you know, Jalen Hurts is a very stoic, calm individual. And he's he's very consistent. I admire that about him. When you're winning, people love that. It's cool. It's calm. It's collected. It's, you know, it's it's smooth, right? But when you're losing, 
it mm-hmm. runs people the wrong way. It comes off as arrogance. It comes off as not reading the room. It comes off as being selfish. So, you know, that, that aside, right, some people feel that he should have um, sort of, um, you know, put out the flames about Nick Sirianni saying, hey, listen, Nick is my guy. You know, I understand things didn't go well, but that's on us. Like A.J. Brown, he wore it. He said, that's on us. Um, Jalen Hurts, not so much. So I'm curious to know when he didn't necessarily go to to the lengths that people would expect from Nick Sirianni, what was your reaction? What were your thoughts? And what do you think about what do you think is their dynamic now? Yeah, I, I, I thought exactly what you just said. It's not a lot of people ran with that baton. It's it's Jalen Hurts being Jalen Hurts. I mean, he said yesterday, uh, owner's own, coach's coach, players play. You know, he's a flatline guy. And when, you know, Jalen might have said the... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The most um, meaningful thing he ever said yesterday on clean out day. Mm. And, And somebody asked him about the leadership questions. And he said, and I'm trying to pull up the quote because I transcribed it. There are things that were once said that made me great to make me special, a special leader and impacting and uplifting guy that maybe one may find an issue. Now I've said the whole time it's based off results. He's the same stinking guy. So when he won 25 of 27, it's all great. And now when he loses six out of seven, now it's not good. Mm. He's the same. Right. And I would everybody agree with you. else, everybody else taking it a different way. And that's on everybody else. That's not on Jalen Hurts. That's my opinion. All right. Do you think Jalen Hurts, and this and this is me asking you to um make an assumption? I know that's not really your forte making assumptions. You like to deal with the facts and the logic, but I want to. I want to stretch you a little bit, John. So um, what do you think? Do you think Jalen Hurts believes that Nick Sirianni is the head coach to help him get to the next level? Yeah. I mean, I think, but I think if you gave Jalen Hurts anybody else, he'd think the same thing. I think, I think Jalen Hurts believes in himself. Um, and you know, I think whoever his coach would be, he'd be the same way. It's like all, you know, Jason Kelsey defended Nick Fletcher. They would do the same thing with Doug Peterson. I mean, that's what that's what great players do. I mean, they they realized when a guy doesn't have it, so it's easy because players respect coaches that can help them. I just kind of explain from a player's mindset i've talked to hundreds of players over the year they they want coaches that can help them get better and if they know you can't help them get better they they're they're out they don't respect you that's when you and you know right away that's not the case with nick sirianni um so that's their mindset so you know jalen loves doug peterson he was here with one year for him. Loves him. Didn't play much. Loves him. As I said, Kelsey loved Doug Peterson. Fletch loved him. Fletch loved Jim Schwartz. Wasn't having a lot of fun at the beginning when they switched defenses and he had to play two gaps instead of rush the passer when Gannon got here. Uh, but at the end, he loved Gannon. Um, love Sirianni. <laughs> they, they, you know, these are great players. Great players aren't worried about minute changes because they know 
they know the shelf life's coming anyway. Mm-hmm. How many how many coaches has Brandon Graham been through? Three, right? No, four. Four. Yeah, Andy, Chip, Doug. Um, what if you want to throw, if you want to throw uh, Andy, it went Andy, Chip, um, um, uh, Doug, Nick, if you want to throw Pat Shermer in there. Um, was he an interim at some point? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Last game of, uh, Chip's, Chip's reign. Oh, that was, um, yeah. And coordinators even more, uh, obviously, um, coaches come and go because, there's so much pressure on these owners to to fire coaches because you can't fire the players. You can fire one or here or there, but as a massive group, you can't fire a bunch of players. So what do you do? You fire the coaches. But mm. I I've been telling everybody that list. I don't I I assume I gave it to you as well. Um the longest tenured head coaches in the NFL right now. Mike Tomlin. Right, Mike Tomlin. John Harbaugh. Right. Andy was, Reid. Was Belichick, obviously, but not anymore. No, well, mm. Belichick and Carroll, that was the point. So right, right now, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Sean McDermott, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur. Those are your longest tenure. What do they all have in common? They're all freaking successful. So you know, you know sorry, who wasn't look look at the look at the coaches that were hired even with Nick Sirianni three years ago. Disaster. They're all gone. Yeah, except for uh, Robert Sala's situation is a little interesting. Um I do think Salah is a, a, a solid coach. I just think he, that quarterback position has been, been the death of him. Um, but, yeah, they have limitations over there. Yeah. So, I mean, 17 seasons, 17-0 and 0 for Mike Tomlin. Right. Winning, winning seasons. Never had a losing season. John Harbaugh, best team in the AFC right now. Should mm-hmm. be the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. Andy Reid, no more needs to be said. Yeah, Sean McDermott. Right. If, 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 you know, Sean McDermott's playing again, Kansas City Chiefs, Kyle Shanahan, best team in the NFC. Sean McVay won a Super Bowl, went back because they, and now we rebuilt the team again. Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, has already been to a Super Bowl. Matt LaFleur turns Jordan Love into a great quarterback in year one. Every single one. Yet everybody wants to fire coaches. At some point, Common sense got to it has to enter the equation. Mm. Well, you know it's a lot of obviously it's a lot of emotions tied into it, and uh, you know fans, you know they invest a lot of their they invest a lot of themselves, and uh, I, and you know look, you're I think I think ultimately, I think rationally and logically you do make a lot of sense. Um, me, um, I'm I lean more towards the side of moving on, but. When I have, you know, that's why I feel like it's important to have these kind of conversations. Well, Sean's moving on. Sean's not going to be back. I mean, that's not a question. That's not a concern. Um, They're not bringing back the defensive coordinator. Um, The question is the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, my concern, my concern is mainly the offensive side because I feel like the defensive side, you know, maybe, maybe this is me just being hopeful, but I think that's just going to figure out figure itself out. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, Can they, I, but, 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 wait, wait, wait. They have a lot of holes in, in, in talent. Like that, that actually brings us to my next question for you. Like, what do you think is the first course of action for this team? You know, beyond Nick Sirianni, beyond all that stuff. You know, even from a free agent perspective, what do you think is priority is priority one from a personnel standpoint for this team on defense? Woo! Priority one. <laughs> um, probably oh, get man. probably uh, probably getting another edge rusher. Um, that would be priority one of fifty. Um, obviously, I'm exaggerating. They need everything on on defense, except uh, e- even you know Jordan Davis. Probably the weirdest 
part of uh, clean-out day was Jordan Davis essentially saying Fletcher Cox was not going to be back, and Fletcher Cox um, emptied his locker, which is not business as usual. Um, so right. that's an indication that he's going to try to play hardball with the Eagles. He gave him a little bit of a hometown discount to come back this year. He, oh, one of the few players who overperformed um, on the deep uh, on the team as a whole. Um, he's not going to give him a, a deal, it seems. So other than defensive tackle, if he's back, they need everything. They need everything. They need edge rushers. They need cornerbacks. They need linebackers. They need safeties. This goes be, this goes beyond just a single off season. This sounds this sounds like a a multi off season project. Well, you can make good decisions. What's the difference between twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three? You can hit on one year guys if you think about even going back to twenty seventeen with the Chris Longs and mm-hmm. like Eric Blunts. You you can hit on some veteran players on short term deals. Patrick Robinson's great example of that. But don't you think um, it's more important to hit on those draft picks? And I think especially when so, you're wow, about- it's always more important to hit on draft picks, but it's also a little bit unrealistic to expect a lot of draft picks to perform right away. You 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 know, you can have one or two guys and people can point to the Green Bay Packers this year who had a bunch of contributors, but that's rare. Um, rookies, just like coaches, need times need time to grow into things. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go into an offseason and say, I gotta get five starters from the draft, that's unrealistic. Right. So you you have to supplement, you have to certainly hit on some of those one-year contracts. But one of the issues with the Eagles is in long term, they have some difficult decisions to make. Um and and the first one is is the championship window still open? I think there's a strong argument it is not. Mm. Um, and Break then, that down for me. Um, well, it, it Bill Barnwell from ESPN put this out, and this is very interesting. He he put out the snap weighted age for the full 2023 season. So, in other words. The guys getting the most snaps in that category, the Eagles were the second oldest team in football behind the New Orleans Saints. Green so Bay. Basically, the- so basically the players getting the most snaps for the Philadelphia Eagles, those players are the oldest in the NFL. Second oldest. To second, I'm New, sorry. New Orleans. Second oldest. The yeah. guys leading the team in sacks. Are the second oldest snaps 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 and uh, the second oldest. In so the, the guys who get the, in other words, what it means is the guys who get playing time, right? Are the old guys and are the old guys? But doesn't that speak to the fact that they haven't had enough young guys come in and contribute? Now I know you said it takes time for guys to develop, but I mean, well, yeah, you, Green Bay is the youngest, and and people are going to look at Green Bay at least until this weekend when they probably get destroyed in san francisco but we'll see how it shakes out but they've had a lot of success playing young players and it's gone well for them but that's rare typically contenders um you know new orleans didn't make the playoffs the eagles did they're number two san francisco's number three Mm. um they're the best team in football houston playoff team young quarterback but they're playing a lot of veteran guys. Buffalo, Miami playoff team. Um, so a lot of teams that are contenders make sense, play veteran players. Um, but that's the difficulty. That's where you have to be honest with yourself. If the championship window is open, that's when you want Chris Long as a backup player. That's where you want Patrick Robinson. That's where you want LeGarrette Blunt. But if 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 you're not a championship contender, you don't want that. You want to get those young guys on the field. Mm-hmm. And you want to get them up to speed as quickly as possible. So when you are good enough to make a run again, they're ready to go. So 
that's the that's the toughest part of being a GM, figuring out where you are and being honest with yourself as far as where you are. I didn't think I'd be saying this about the Eagles, to be honest, but I think the championship window is closed for the time mm. being. And they have to get younger and they have to get more athletic. I've been talking about it down the stretch, more speed on the field. And it's going to be difficult to pull that off in one off season. All right. As we begin to close the show, John, um, with, with everything looming over Nick Sirianni, Harry Roseman, right. And we obviously anticipate some level of changes with those changes. Do you anticipate Jeffrey Lurie revisiting, reevaluating the power structure? No. Um, mm. No. Mm. You already know where I'm going. It it, it drives me crazy. Drives me insane. Where, and and I'm going to kill my own industry right now. But I'm also going to kill. Uh I'm 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 also going to kill the listeners. Because okay. if you if if you want to listen to people who lie to you, feel free. I don't care. But if they're not paying attention to what what Jeffrey Lurie does, Jeffrey Lurie's history, Jeffrey Lurie saying his biggest mistake ever was taking power away from Howie Roseman, and assuming Bill Belichick's going to come here. Well. You know, I mean, I'll, what, I'll what, 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 what are you just spitting out nonsense for? Right. Not only is he not coming here, he's not interviewing here. He has no interest here because he doesn't want to work with Howie Roseman. He doesn't want to be um, put in a position where he doesn't have power over personnel. So it doesn't matter how many charlatans tell you that. It ain't happening. It's the same thing when we get to the draft. And, oh, they might take B. John Robinson. And no matter how many goddamn times I said they're not taking B. John Robinson, and you don't want to believe it. And and guess what? You go back to the same charlatans or telling you to set the next bullshit story, bullshit narrative. Who, who do you blame? This is where I get frustrated because you can blame everybody. You can blame the engagement. You can blame re- being rewarded for the engagement, or you can you can listen to somebody telling you the stinking truth. That's up to the listener. Mm. But do not buy these nonsensical. That, that, it ain't happening. Could Nick Sirianni go in there tomorrow and say, "Guess what? Um, Nick Sir uh, Jeffrey Lurie might say." You got to fire your best buddy, Kevin Petula. And that might be it for Nick Sirianni. And say, you know what? I'm not doing that. But they're still not Mm. hiring Bill Belichick. They're hiring the next Nick Sirianni. Okay. So, um, since I think, I think in my heart of hearts, I I know Nick, in my heart of hearts, I think Nick is staying. Um, So, final question. Where, what direction do you think they go in from a coordinator standpoint? Um, are there any names um, that you've heard through the grapevine or that you think maybe should be strongly considered uh, considered for the OC and DC jobs in Philly? Uh, the, the, well, the OC is not going anywhere. So uh, we're talking about the defensive coordinator. Mm, um, okay. The, the OC is not going anywhere unless he becomes a head coach, which is unlikely. Because um, when, when you start talking about getting rid of Brian Johnson – you're also now you're messing with the quarterback on top of it. I mean, what what what, what do we think? Je- Jeffrey Lewis is the dumbest person on the planet. Well, I do believe that every decision they make going forward has to be in the best interest of the quarterback. Well, then why is anyone talking about Brian Johnson? I think people are, how can I put it, grasping at straws, right? And what I mean by that is. I think people are trying to think beyond what they see. And that is obviously they have a relationship, you know, that stems beyond the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, you, I, I, I've, I've even questioned, right. Um, or have we overvalued or overstated 
that you know the the strength of that relationship I, i've even asked myself that question because you know i try to think critically and i try not to just think on one accord i try to look at all angles and and, and even ask myself the questions that, I, that that may be tough for me to even answer so you know i i guess i guess yeah i think that's i i think that's what it is when it comes to brian johnson um people all year even in the offseason last year talked about that relationship being the you know the linchpin to this offense and they're gonna go go about it as business as usual and that that just wasn't the case and um you know some say well first year coordinator expect those bumps and bruises some say bro you were here for two straight years prior to that as a QB coach with Shane Steichen those guys how can you not pick up the how can you not pick up the secret sauce so um I think that's where people are with it well what is the assumption that you know Brian worked with Jalen Hurts every single day um in the position room what, what where's the presumption that that Shane Steichen had the secret sauce but Brian Johnson didn't have the secret sauce since Brian was the one working with him I'm not saying it's the case because I can't tell you nobody can tell you right but the presumption and people speak so emphatic with, with about conviction. it like they like <laughs> they yeah thank you the, the conviction um like they know they know it was Shane Steichen. They know. They know Shane Steichen carried Nick Sirianni. They know. I, 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 you know, first of all, Brian Johnson met Jalen Hurts when he was four years old, and 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 um, Brian was in high school. What 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 do people think? He was hanging out with a four year old kid. He met him because he was coached by his dad. In passing. Probably at practice. Right. Then they didn't connect until Brian was recruiting him um, as a college coach. Um, and by the way, he wasn't successful. And then he tried to recruit him a second time, and he wasn't successful. It's not the Queen song where they're best friends. Right. They and that's, and that's my point. They knew each other. And then when they got here, um, Jalen had tremendous success and he was the position coach. Mm. And he gives Brian Johnson a lot of credit for his success, along with many other people, including himself. Um, but this, I don't know, this narrative that they're best friends and Jalen won't listen to his best friend. Again, that's nonsense. Um, so you agree that the, that the relationship, or the dynamic at least, has been overblown, overstated? Oh, my God, yes. Okay. And and, and not well, only because, the because fact... That's my point. And that's why I feel like if Brian Johnson was... If they did move on from Brian Johnson, it wouldn't be... Like, Hurts wouldn't jump off a building or, or wreak havoc because, you know, like we said, the dynamic isn't or the relationship isn't exactly what we think it is or assume it is. Jalen Hurts is not going to jump off a building if they fire Nick Sir. Like I said, with, uh, you know, as a player, you go on to the next coach because you know, what's coming. Um, you know, how many times do we talk about Jalen Hurts going through his entire career with a different offensive play caller every single That's year. That's true. He's used to every it. single That's year. True. That's a good um, point. Until he got the second year with Shane. And hey, things click with the second year with Shane. Who's to say things don't click with the second year with Brian? That's a good point. Um, That's a good point. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, but generally, when you're top 10 in most meaningful statistical categories in the NFL, generally, you don't get fired. Generally, I mean, um, generally, well, because you know, there's always something you might curse out the coach, or there might be something personal you might do something off the field, but you don't get fired for your job performance <clears throat> if you're top ten. Um, but I guess when you're number three. And you make the Super Bowl and you fall to number eight, that's a catastrophe. And on that note, John, 
I appreciate you, man. Um, I appreciate uh, your view of the game, your perspective. It's always refreshing to me. Um, you know, I always fall on uh, the passionate or the emotional side of things, and you always regulate me, man. And I appreciate you always. I always enjoy uh, our conversation, my friend. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well, I got too passionate today because I'm, I, man. Oh I, no, John. Listen, I don't get that from you often, so l- l- let me have that. You know that was that was food for the soul for me. So I so I appreciate you, man. Um, you were the more passionate one today than I was, and that's a first one of one of not many. Um, so I appreciate you again, John. The, the, the hard work and the effort is always felt on this side, and I appreciate your time, Eagles fans. Make sure you smash that like button. Make sure you guys also subscribe to the the Jacob Sports YouTube channel. We appreciate you guys. Um, so much more content in the works. Um, catch John on Burge on Burge three sixty five. Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Eastern time to 10 a.m. Eastern time. And also make sure you guys check him out. Check out his writing, his articles. He's a, he does great work, okay? Um, check him out on si.com. That's si.com, sportsillustrated.com. And also uh, check him out on jacobsports.com. You guys are locked in on football 24-7 with John McMullen, our Eagles insider. And I've been your host, Tone Deshaws the Second, And we'll see you next time. Take care. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.